Like a more Jewish-themed bad lieutenant with all the intensity and half the sensationalism, also Adam Sandler. Uncut Gems is one of the best of the decade. That's from Vincent Mancini, a film drunk. Also, Richard Brody, The New Yorker, says a recklessly audacious and wildly accomplished blend of crime thriller, family melodrama, and sports drama. They're talking about Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler's new movie. I got to see it a couple weeks ago, and I got to meet Adam Sandler. Those stories are more coming up on this edition of Cinephile. Thank you so much for checking us out. Also, a great guest this week, Chris Beecham, who's the managing editor of GoldDerby.com. Chris is one of the best when it comes to breaking down what's going to happen with the awards. I was previously, of course, one of the experts' picks there on GoldDerby.com. Hope to resurface on there. But with the Golden Globe now, Nominations coming out on Monday. Chris explains what exactly that means, what the winners are going to be for the Globes, and also what that means for the Oscars. Uh, so it's a really fun conversation there as far as the major categories are concerned. Also, some entertainment news, and we'll do our Mount Rushmore. Thanks to JP Morietta, who suggested movies with one word in the title. That is a uh, solicited by him so uh, appreciate it jp we'll make that our choice for the mount rushmore best movies with one word and for total recall which i think is a fun segment we'll also be looking back at one of the years and the oscars as well and, and redoing it as well let's start with the golden globe nominations though uh, the first big news is i was you know, enraged beyond all belief that robert de niro was snubbed for best actor in a musical drama so that was just ridiculous um but the good news is uh, Irishman did do very well otherwise. Up for Best Picture, Scorsese's up for Director, Pacino and Pesci up for Supporting Actor, Steve Zellian's up for Adapted Screenplay, so very, very happy to see a movie that I love there. Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, love seeing him get nominated for Best Director, and Parasite is up for Foreign Film. I'm hoping that somehow that Parasite can crash the party and actually get nominated for Best Picture, just as Roma did a season ago, but it's up for Foreign Film as well. Other than that, not too many surprises. I uh, was hoping Shia LaBeouf to get nominated for Honey Boy, which I haven't seen yet, but I just think it's a good story. My my buddy Ben Lyons has seen it like 20 times because he's been interviewing Shia LaBeouf all over Los Angeles. So he did not get in. But that's that's the one category. Honestly, my first glance, the Golden Globes. Look at supporting actor. Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Al Pacino for The Irishman. Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Joe Pesci, The Irishman. And Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. I'll be watching The Two Popes this week. So I'll have a review next week on Cinephile for that. But Joe, you talk about a loaded category. Pitt, Pacino, Hanks, Pesci, Hopkins. That's insane. That is absolutely nuts. And and the question was, who was going to be left out? So the fact that De Niro was the one left out, it, it's getting a lot well, that, of backlash. That's for lead actor. Oh, that's for lead actor. Yeah, De Niro left out for lead actor. Yeah, that's for that's for supporting. Supporting the ones who are left out here, uh, Willem Dafoe left out for The Lighthouse and Shia LaBeouf for Honey Boy. There's a couple of guys that were hoping to crack that party. Um Lead actor, though, yeah, the, 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 the nominees there. So, of course, they split it up for the Globes between drama and comedy or musical. So De Niro would have been nominated for drama. And it ends up being Adam Driver, Marriage Story, who I think should win. Uh, Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory, which I've reviewed on Cinefile. That was very good. Good to see a, a foreign film get in there for a Best Actor nomination. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Jonathan Price, The Two Popes. Again, I'll see that this week. And Christian Bale, Ford versus Ferrari. That's the one that I hang on a second. Bale's a good actor. There's nothing unique what he's doing in the role. It's a good performance, but De Niro should have been there for lead actor there. Um, but yeah, the Globe's always interesting because they split it up. So a movie like Late Night, which I gave two Maple Leafs, Emma Thompson's up for Best Actress, not because I think it's a Best Actress-worthy role, um, but it's musical or comedy, so you got to squeeze all these people in here. Cate Blanchett, I mean, that movie got destroyed. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Critics savaged it, but it's like, well, I'm going to get a nominee in here, so boom, there she is. I was happy to see Beanie Feldstein get nominated for Booksmart, so good to see a movie like Booksmart get nominated. Eddie Murphy's up for uh, Best Actor because it's musical or comedy, so you get 10 nominees. So it's always tricky, Joe. You end up seeing 10 nominees between drama and musical or comedy, and you say, listen, for the Oscars, it's only going to be half this list, and more than often than not, it's the nominees from the drama category who will translate over. 
Yeah, definitely. Though I am happy to see in the musical and comedy category, this year more than any, I think, actual comedy is getting nominated with Jojo Rabbit, Dolomite is my name, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, very funny, and then the obligatory Rocket Man on the musical side. So it'll be interesting to see how it stacks up come Oscar season. Yeah, so the nominations by Motion Picture, Irishman gets five, Marriage Story, which is fantastic. That got six. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got five. Joker got four. Ridiculous. Todd Phillips is up for Best Director, and it's up for Best Picture. Uh, the Two Popes got four. 1917, which I also have the screener for. Can't wait to see that. Sam Mendes got nominated for Best Director and Best Picture. That looks great. And then Parasite, Rocketman, Knives Out, so on and so forth. I'm not going to focus on the TV as much. It's mainly stuff you've seen before nominated, such as Fleabag and Chernobyl. And good to see Barry nominated again, of course. And I'm really actually excited for one nomination, which was Rami. I've talked before about how much I love the show Rami. Rami Youssef is up for Best Actor, Musical or Comedy. So he's not going to win. He's up against Paul Rudd for Living With Yourself, Ben Platt, the Paul Bill Hader's probably the favorite for Barry and Michael Douglas for the Kaminsky method. Actually, Douglas might win because the whole veteran vote. But Rami Yusuf getting in, Joe. I was very happy to see that. Really happy. Yeah. It, I mean, that's that's our guy right there. We gotta we gotta give him some love. And as far as best director though, who I mean, to me the biggest snub for that category was Noah Bombach not being uh, nominated. I feel like you could have switched out Todd Phillips with Noah Bombach. Absolutely. Instead. Yeah, no, thanks for mentioning that. The director wants so Scorsese, I hope, wins for The Irishman, although I really think Bong Joon-ho has got a good shot here with Parasite because, you know, it's Hollywood Foreign Press, and that is definitely, you know, the it movie. Everyone's like, oh, my God, have you seen Parasite? And I obviously love the film. So I think maybe he wins for director. I feel like it's a three-horse race between Bong Joon-ho, Scorsese, and Tarantino, although I think people realize Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not Tarantino's best. Uh, I can't remember how many times Scorsese's won the Golden Globe. I think he's won it twice for director. He's only obviously only won the one Oscar for Departed. But yeah, I definitely would have omitted Todd Phillips for Joker. I would have loved to have seen Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story. Haven't seen Little Women yet, but Greta Gerwig would be nice to see a female in there for a change for directors. Rarely you get a female nomination, maybe a Catherine Bigelow or a Jane Campion way back in the day for the piano. But yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I would have liked to have seen Noah Baumbach. Although Baumbach feels like he's going to be a lock for screenplay, he's nominated up against Steve Zaling for The Irishman, Bong Jun ho He Jean Wan for Parasite, Anthony McCarthy. Martin for the two popes and of course Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so it's going to be exciting man Golden Globes it's it's not the, the best precursor of the Oscars obviously the SAG Award nominees are better in terms of actors but the Globes are still a fun party and by the way Ricky Gervais is hosting so what more reason do you need to have them be excited for the movie than that right really really excited for it and we'll be doing our recap after the Golden Globes air on January 5th so everyone listen out for that as well Awesome. Let's get to the movies then. First off, I want to talk about Uncut Gems. So I was in the Los Angeles a couple weeks ago for DAZN and managed up with my buddies Ben Lyons and Max Bredos. Of course, both have been cinephile uh, guests. And Ben goes, listen, I got a pass to go see Uncut Gems tonight, Sailor's movie. I'm like, perfect. Uh, so we go and see it, and it's a terrific movie. And before I give the review of the movie, I want to say what happened afterwards. So, you know, we're kind of catching up afterwards, eating some hors d'oeuvres, and there's a Sandman. Sandler, very, uh, you know, open and uh, walking around. You can go up and talk to him, have a few words. There was a panel afterwards. My friend Scott Feimer from The Hollywood Reporter did a great job. So he's talking to Sandler and um, Adina Menzel and, and the Safdie brothers, the directors of the film, Benny and Josh. And Sailor, by the way, first of all, apologizes for wearing basketball shorts. He was like, oh, I was just helping my kid with his science project. Sorry, I'm just wearing, you know, basketball shorts, T-shirt, whatever. He just shows up. Um, but he was fine with the panel. He just kind of spoke about the role and how he got it. And obviously, it's atypical for him. And for those who are unaware what the story's about, he plays a 
a jewelry store dealer who is just completely becoming unhinged and his life's just falling apart, creating out of control. He's got an insane gambling problem. He's ripping people off left and right. And, uh, you know, he's in the midst of a divorce with his wife. His girlfriend's causing him stress. Like he's, he's just got a thousand things operating against him. And he said he was reluctant to do it at first, but the Safety brothers kept bugging him. And his agent were like, oh, come on, you know, you're going to love these guys. They're Jews from New York who play basketball. And Sandler's like, great. That's, what, that's what, these, these are the people who are always hounding me now, my, my Jews from New York who play hoop. But um, he said once he saw the script and he got into it, he really enjoyed doing it, and he's gotten some of the best reviews of his career for the movie. So before I talk more about the film, Sandler's there, and I just went up to him and go talk to him, uh, and I just I didn't know what to say because to be honest with you, I'm not crazy about Waterboy and all that stuff. Billy Madison, I know everybody else my age loves it, but I really don't care about it. I just love Punch Drunk Love. But I went up to him and I just said, hey, man, I used to work at ESPN, and I thought you really nailed all the sports stuff, playing, playing a gambling addict. Like, there's a lot of people out there I'm sure I like this. So you really kind of nailed that whole sports theme of it. He's like, oh, no, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And before I went up to talk to him, there's a guy who recognized me who was like, hey, you're from Toronto, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're Canadian. Oh, I know you are. Good. And he goes, I want to get a picture with you and Adam Sandler. I'm like, great. So it's me, uh, this guy I just met, and Adam Sandler. And the guy got somebody else to take the picture. And then afterwards, I have to ask this guy who I just met. I'm like, hey, I'll give you my number. Can you text me that picture of Adam Sandler? And then, of course, I cropped him out on my Instagram, on my Twitter, of me and Adam Sandler, which is terrible. But honestly, I just met the guy. I'm glad that he's a fan. I appreciate him watching. So that was my moment with Adam Sandler. And uh, I thought about it after. I should have mentioned Jack and Jill, just because I adore Pacino. I'm like, hey, listen, like you, you sullied Al Pacino's career and his reputation for years here, Adam. Are you aware of what you've done? Like, whenever people try to you know, praise Pacino, the Irishman, you should win a second Oscar. Guys, oh, Jack and Jill. Like, Adam, do, do you feel at all responsible for what you did to Al Pacino's career? Although I will still defend Jack and Jill for a couple of moments, one of which when Pacino has the meltdown on stage about the cell phones and the Dunkachino commercial. Both hilarious. Otherwise, that movie is exactly what you'd expect. So yeah, cool meeting Sandler. And then I go up to Benny Safdie, who Ben knows a little bit, the, the director. And uh, I said, I just have one question for you. And he's like, yeah. I go, why is it when Sandler is watching a basketball game, which he has gambled on, Boston Celtics, Kevin Garnett, by the way, is in the movie. And then he goes to put his kid to bed after Edina Menzel, his wife, is yelling at him to do so. He comes back and his wife has changed the channel. He said, can you put the game back on ESPN? I said, there's no way that game is ESPN. The game is, is on Turner. It's on TNT. And you just see the blood drain out of Benny Safdie's face. And Ben Lines, because he's the best, immediately jumps in and goes, oh, maybe just because the character is so, you know, unhinged, he doesn't know what channel he's just going to put the game back on. And the guy, Benny's just staring at me. He's like, I go, dude, I'm 100% positive. Like, I didn't want to be like, hey, you know, I worked in his band. But I'm like, trust me, I would know, you know, Mike Breen's voice versus Kevin Harlan or Marv, whoever's calling the game. So he literally pulled this. This is the... <laughs> That's the heart attack I gave one of the hottest young directors in Hollywood. He immediately pulls his phone. He goes, oh, we got to watch this right now. I'm like, okay. Like, time stops right now. Because just imagine if this is wrong, he's going to have to call, you know, 824. Hey, can we get Adam Sandler to, to retrack? Like, can we reshoot this scene? Just have him say, can you put the game back on TNT? Can we, can we you know, ADR, loop it in somehow? And, and I'm, by the way, a thousand percent confident that I'm right. Like, I, I put a billion dollars on it. So he's, he's checking his phone. Somebody else comes up to talk to him, but we're still like, hey, okay, I can buzz off. We got to check this phone thing. He goes through it, and then the look on his face, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't, like, I, I realized in that moment that I'm a total jerk because I've just given this guy who sweat over this film for years, like, I've just, I wouldn't say I've ruined him, but I definitely pissed him off in that moment. And I was like, hey, I, mean, I, I just, you know, that's, I'm a sports guy. Like, I'm a sports guy. Literally, I'm, I'm going to notice that when he says he put the game back on ESPN, but the game's a TT. And the look at his face. And then, but thankfully, again, Ben saved it. He's like, dude, whatever. The guy is losing his mind. It's like when someone says, can you put the game on ESPN, but you know it's on ABC. Like, who cares? It doesn't, it's not actually important. And I said, of course, Benny, you've made a great film. I'm the one guy that's going to notice this. Do not worry. No one's going to notice these things. Uh, so yeah, that was my moment with Benny Safty. <laughs>
<laughs> well, the best young director. Can you, can I, even afterwards, Joe, I realized that I probably shouldn't have done it, but I just, I, I honestly was curious. I wasn't trying to be like, hey, you screwed up. I was like, hey, why did he, why did you, why'd you do that? Or like, did you anyone notice that? Continuity, Joe, it got to me. Wow, I can't imagine that. I mean, how long did the whole like situation take? Was it actually ESPN? Where what did they change it? Do you know? No, the, the game is definitely on TNT that Sandler is watching. And then Adina Menzel is yelling at him. So he goes to the room to lay with his kid, but he's watching the game on his phone. He comes back and he says to the guy, to his daughter, excuse me, wife, Adina Menzel, can you put the game back on ESPN? So it was, it was wrong. He should have said, can you put the game back on TNT? But I mean, at this point, they're like, who cares? And even Betty laughed after Ben's explanation. He goes, if anybody else besides you asks me, I'll say, listen, he's so stressed out. He's so out of his mind. He's like, okay, just put the game on ESPN. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He just means put the game on. Perfect. <laughs> That's great. It's good to have a wingman like that for those situations. <laughs> uh, but anyways, back to the movie itself. Uncut Gems, like I said, is about a jewelry uh, store owner who is just losing his mind. And the Safdie brothers, uh, they've really made a mark in Hollywood now because of the fact that they've got this real excellent pace to it. I mean, this film, it is so involving. It puts you in that world immediately. And uh, talking after I'd upset Benny Safdie, I did ask him about you know where they shot it. And he said, listen, it was right in the jewelry district in New York City. Um, Sandler talked with, you know, a bunch of jewelry guys in that era. And, you know, there's one scene where there, Kevin Garnett goes to the jewelry shop and, and, you know, Sandler says, oh, I like your earrings. You know, give those to me. Let, let me polish them off for you. He said he learned that from one of the jewelry shop dealers. He goes, the, the deal is you've got to get the jewelry off the guy. You start polishing it, and then you start saying, oh, if you like this, i got something better for you. And that's, that's the key. It's a really smart way of doing it. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, get the jewelry off the guy. And then you start, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And all of a sudden he starts buying everything in the store. And... um like Keith Stanfield's role is very interesting. You know, for, he's like, he recruits these guys. Like, think of how many NBA players have a lot of jewelry. He's like, well, like Keith Stanfield's the guy who becomes friends with them, and then he brings them to Sandler's shop. So, like, he gets a cut of it. And meantime, Sandler's this, you know, gigantic basketball fan, which of course he is in real life. So that's funny that you're seeing the role. But listen, he's an actor who it oftentimes has done those, you know, roles that are a little bit juvenile and silly. But this is a role which is very demanding because he's a clearly unlikable character. I mean, he's, has no scruples. He has no morals. I mean, he's cheating on his wife. He's, you know, he's just, just a mess. He's a delinquent father. He um, is literally robbing money from Peter to pay Paul. Like, it's, it's insane the way there's one scene. I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much dialogue in this movie. The way he's explaining to the guy how he's basically taking Garnett's ring. He's putting it up for silver here. Like, he's hawking it here. He's pawning it here. Like, I get the ring back. I need this money for this. And put, put five grand on this. Mike Francesa shows up, the famous talk show host, as a gambler. I'm like, it's just, it's just a, a bookie, excuse me. And it's just it's all over the place. But honestly, it's a claustrophobic film. I did think it was too long. It's one of those movies that, God, if it had been 90 minutes and kept up that pace the whole time, it would be great. By the time it gets to two hours, it's a little bit exhausting just because the character himself is so obnoxious and irritating after a while you wouldn't mind punching him in the face and the directing itself there's really never any let up right so it's a lot of handheld it's a lot of tracking shots you're constantly in the moment which i think is very effective i just think after a while it's a little bit exhausting but sandler's terrific uh he just won the national board of review best actor i don't think he's gonna get an oscar nomination but maybe he crashes the party when the sag nominations come out because uh it's definitely his best dramatic role since punch drunk love and if you like you know sports or sports gambling or that kind of era i think it's a movie you'll enjoy i'm gonna give uncut gems three maple leafs brett Oz, for the record probably gave it two maple leafs he just thought the character was too annoying ben Lyons, i think liked it even more he might have given it three and a half maybe four maple leafs so i think it's gonna be one of ben's top 10 movies of the year but that's uncut gems adam sandler joe in a way you've never seen him before Really excited for this to come out. Love Adam Sandler, his whole career, what he does. But more importantly, Kevin Garnett's my all-time favorite athlete. So oh, that's right. I can, yeah, Minnesota, oh yeah, of course. He, he is my number one. Yeah, he's the reason why I'm a basketball fan. So I cannot wait to see this movie. And 
from what I've been reading about it, it just seems like it really captures New York in a real authentic way as well. So, you know, living in New York, it's good to watch a movie like that. Oh, I was about to say, like, uh, listen, Scott Rogan's going to love this. This is about as Jewish New York as it gets. There's a scene where they're having a Seder. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable. I was like, all right, Judd Hirsch is in the movie, for God's sakes. Judd Hirsch is fantastic. I mean, the <laughs> fact he's in the movie, Eric Bogosian's in the movie. I mean, it's, it's very, very uh, New York and authentic and of that era. I'm going to fly through some other reviews. I went on a trip to Saudi Arabia for DAZN, so I get to watch some movies. Yesterday is a movie I'm going to give two Maple Leafs to. That's Danny Boyle's film. It's about this guy. Hamesh Patel, who suffers an accident, and in that accident, everyone forgets that the Beatles ever existed. So he's a struggling singer-songwriter who sings yesterday to his you know, friends, and like, what the hell is that? He's like, it's the Beatles. Like, what's the Beatles? And he Googles Beatles, and all of a sudden you just see a shot of a beetle, the uh, insect. And uh, one of the running jokes is that a lot of things have now just been gone. At one point, his, his mom brings him food. He goes, I prefer a Coke. There's a Pepsi. She goes, what? What's that? And again, she leaves the room, he Googles Coke, and what comes up is like Pablo Escobar. And so, all right, there's no Coca-Cola in this new world that we live in now, but there is Pepsi. Another time he says something else. And then actually, one of the funniest parts, he, he types Childish Gambino. Boom, I'm Donald Glover. He's like, okay, thank God, that's still around. Okay, he's still around. But um, it's an interesting, I mean, it's a far-fetched premise, obviously. Richard Curtis wrote it. He's a very well-known British scribe. I believe Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually. And Danny Boyle, obviously, the director, is very uh, strong pedigree, having done Slumdog Millionaire. But I just thought it was one of those movies that's like a one-note joke. I did, there, it was tough to sustain interest over the whole time. Essentially, this guy, and through his own memory, like just imagine if you all of a sudden had to think of the Beatles songs. Like, oh, my God. And he's a singer-songwriter, so he has to like remember the chords and the songs. Okay, Yellow Submarine, Hey Jude. Like, what are all the lyrics to this? Because obviously, the lyrics don't exist. They only exist in his own brain and his own memory. So... He ends up doing the songs, and now all of a sudden he becomes a massive sensation. He's opening for Ed Sheeran, and Sheeran tells me he's a better songwriter than he is. Kate McKinnon's actually quite funny. She plays a small but important role as a music executive in California who tries to lure him back in. And then there's a couple of people who actually do remember the Beatles songs. Like, oh my God, there's two people just like him. And then he gets scared the whole roost is going to come up. And it's all leading towards this romantic plot because the girl that he was with started, and now all of a sudden he's rich and famous and yada, yada, yada. So honestly, if you're a big fan of the Beatles, go check it out. I do think Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis have made better films, but it's charming enough and obviously a great soundtrack. So two Maple Leafs for yesterday. Joe, do you have any interest in seeing this? Are you a big Beatles fan? Oh, I'm a huge, huge, huge Beatles fan, but I can't think of what a world that I would want to live in less, which would be a world without Coke or a world without the Beatles. And <laughs> it really is a toss up there. A good line by Joe. And by the way, his stand up is coming up. My Dallin Cuff, uh, my friend Dallin Cuff. Uh, who <laughs> messaged me? He's like, dude, I got to hear Joe stand up. Don't worry, it's coming. We're going to save the best for last. So that will be coming at one point in time. Couple of movies, real quick here. A Stockholm, because I love Ethan Hawke, Claire Atkins, Dan Roberts, shout out. They also love Ethan Hawke as much as I do. It's a movie called Stockholm, uh, a poor man's dog day afternoon, if you will. Uh, Stockholm Syndrome, of course, is uh, what this title is named after. He plays a bank robber set in the 70s and, um, that's what it is. It's a bank robber movie. It's like 90 minutes. I love the fact it was nice and tight. Uh, he's terrific as always. I Sometimes I like the fact that he's very laconic. Like you picture him in like Richard Linklater movies. Here he's more of a hair trigger. You know, here he's channeling Pacino. Pacino's sunny and dog afternoon. You got Ethan Hawke just losing his mind. He's unhinged. He's screaming. And uh, of course, you know, the whole idea of Stockholm Syndrome is that the person who's captured starts to identify with the person who has captured them. So Numi Rapace plays Bianca Lind, who ends up being attracted to Ethan Hawke, even though she's been captured by him. Mark Strong plays his accomplice as well. And uh, yeah, it takes place in the Stockholm Bank. Uh, Lars Nystrom is the character played by Ethan Hawke. It's written and directed by Robert Boudreau. If you like Ethan Hawke, I would check it out. It's obviously a very small budget, just basically that one location, which is the bank. 
Um, I don't think it offers much new to the bank robber genre, but I think it was accurate. And uh, certainly you can feel the intensity, and it's a good actor showcase for Ethan Hawke. I'm going to give that three Maple Leafs because I'm a big fan of his. And one more, Stan and Ollie. This is a Laurel and Hardy movie. Steve Coogan and John C. Riley. Now, John C. Riley actually got a Golden Globe nomination for playing Oliver Hardy. This one's a disappointment for me. I'm giving it two Maple Leafs. This is about the world's greatest comedy team facing an uncertain future as the golden era of Hollywood remains long behind them. Diminished by age, the duo set out to reconnect with their adoring fans by touring variety halls in Britain in 1953. They can't shake the past as a long buried tension and Hardy's failing health threatened to uh, harm their partnership. What is with all these movies focusing on artists at the end of their career? Why do I have to watch Judy in the last six months? Why am I watching Stan and Ollie in their last year together? Like, why can't I focus on the highs and the lows? Like, I'm begging now for a traditional biopic. I wanted to see Laurel and Hardy. How do they become Laurel and Hardy? Like, who the hell are Laurel and Hardy? There's this comedy team, you know, predates Bobbitt and Costello. That's all I know. One's skinny, one's fat. Like, give, give me some stuff on these guys. Where they come from? What are their beginnings? How'd they get teamed together? Instead, this is just focusing on the end when... You know, they're virtually destitute, and it's well-acted. Steve Coogan, the Stan Laurel, John C. Riley just, just covered in makeup. That was my biggest takeaway. Like, look at the prosthetics. Look how fat they made John C. Riley. His face is gigantic, gigantic. His torso is huge. I'm like, oh, my God. He's just swallowed up in makeup. Like, forget about de-aging. Like, Marty could have done some wonders here with ILM. But, you know, we're just going to get a fat suit on John C. Riley. He's going to suffer through it. We're going to figure it out. Um, but I would have liked a lot more about Laurel and Hardy, their beginnings, their highs, how they became so iconic, rather than having to do you know, this stuff at the end here where they're really kind of struggling. All right, we are going to get to uh, reviews. Those are the quick reviews there of yesterday and Stan and Ollie. I do want to talk about the 20th anniversary of Fight Club, the 25th anniversary of Hudsucker Proxy. That and more coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The first rule of Fight Club is do not talk about Fight Club. The film came out October 15th of 1999. An insomniac office worker and a devil-may-care soap maker form an underground Fight Club that evolves into something much, much more. I gotta admit, I missed the boat on this one. I remember when it came out 20 years ago, I was in college. I was in my uh, second last year, I believe, at Ryerson. And uh, sometimes you get poisoned by the people you're with. And I remember I saw it with a couple of people who were not as crazy about it, and I thought it was good but not great. And my roommate, Jay Natch, John Adelin, the best, he loved it. He was like, dude, this movie is unbelievable. 
And so this summer, you know, I saw John again. We went and saw our buddy Hussein's play, and uh, we were talking about Fight Club. And I, I just read that book, of course, which I've said it a few times here about the best movie year ever. So I said, maybe I should go back and watch Fight Club again. And I was wrong. It's brilliant. It's a fantastic movie. And I, I, I think it really tapped into the zeitgeist of that era and uh, male angst and rage and, and Y2K, like the, the whole paranoia of that time and the urgency which everyone felt and the ennui which everyone was just kind of soaked in. You know, this is a guy who just wants to get punched in the face to feel something. Like, think about that. You're so bored. You're so run down by your life. You're so disappointed about what your life turned out to be that you only way you could feel anything is by getting your ass kicked. And uh, obviously, the source material is really good. Chuck Palahniuk's book. But the performances are terrific. I mean, Edward Norton really nails it all. Every man quality, but a guy who's just eager to feel something. And Brad Pitt is marvelous. I mean, he's so charismatic as Tyler Durden. I think the original time when I saw it, I just thought the twist, once you find out, spoiler alert, that Tyler Durden does not exist, that it is Edward Norton. I'm like, okay, that's just too far-fetched. But when I watched it again, I go, you know, who cares? Just go with it. It doesn't have to be necessarily realistic. Just the whole concept of it. It's pretty smart. And what, and what else would you have done? Like, how else were you going to get out of this story? Like, well, he just kills Tyler Durden or Tyler Durden. Whatever. Okay, fine. This at least was different and unique. And uh, watching it a second time, for some reason, the twist didn't bother me as much. I actually thought it was smarter and the first time around when I was kind of rolling my eyes. It's really smartly directed by David Fincher. I mean, he just throws the kitchen sink at it. Such a kinetic style of filmmaking. It really probably is his best film. And uh, I don't know about him. Carr is really funny. as Marla, small role, but uh, also important to the story. Fight Club, i got to be honest, Joe, I missed the boat on this one. It's a lot better than I realized. It, it really is a great film. Yeah, this film's incredible. I completely agree. It, it was critically panned when it came out, too, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I know that it kind of developed a cult following the years ensuing. But I think you're also forgetting Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Meatloaf is in the movie, too, which I completely forgot about until I rewatched it a few months ago. Yeah, Milo's unbelievable. I mean, when you see him, he's got the man boobs and he's just this overweight guy, but then the one fight he gets in, he seems vicious. You're right. I have no idea how the hell Meatloaf Loaf ended up being in the movie. And Fincher's been known for how many takes he does. Could you imagine like telling, you know, Meatloaf Loaf get 30 takes, 40 takes? Like, God, it must have been a crazy experience. But yeah, Fight Club, man. If you haven't seen it before, definitely check it out. And one more before we get to some entertainment news, and Chris Beecham is coming along the way. Hudsucker Proxy, I'm a huge Cone Brothers fan, so I'd never seen it. It's a 25th anniversary. Here's the story. Greedy Executive Sidney J. Musburger, Paul Newman, hopes to control the company he works for by purchasing a majority share, but he must first devalue the stock. So he convinces the board to appoint no-nothing recent graduate Norville Barnes. But Musburger's plot backfires when Barnes' latest invention succeeds, thereby increasing the company's value. Worse yet, undercover reporter Amy Archer has the scoop on Musburger's shady dealings. I'm going to give it three Maple Leafs. And it really has uh, the Coen Brothers' love of that era. God, those guys, they just love screwball comedies. I mean, if they could be anybody, I'm sure they wish they could be Howard Hawks and be in the 1940s. And you got like Cary Grant and just, you know, batting witticisms back and forth. The problem with it is Jennifer Jason Lee, I thought, was miscast as Amy Archer. And her character just seems uh, irksome rather than charming. Although she does her best to kind of nail that whole patter in the rapid fire dialogue. But Paul Newman is uh, always with a twinkle in his eye, charming as Sidney J. Musburger. Tim Robbins is effective as normal Barnes, this guy who's just kind of a dimwit. But honestly, with the cones, I, I, I don't think it's Tim Robbins' is best. Jennifer Jason Lee definitely isn't strong, but it's a supporting cast is so good. Not only Newman, but Charles Durning's great, John Mahoney, Bill Cobbs. Like the cones are always so good with casting those other smaller characters. And, you know, the scene where Charles Durning literally gets up on the table and runs out the window and jumps to his own suicide. Again, it, it just shows the cones are so good with their camera and so, um, 
just liberating, man. They just take that camera, let it fly wherever. They're, they're such creative guys. And when they make their movies, much like a Quentin Tarantino, they just love movies so much. And so that's why I always find it interesting is that not only they're, they're never lampooning the era. It's always a bit of an homage to that era. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, listen, they, they've definitely had their share of misfires over the years. Hail Caesar was awful, even though it's a love letter to movies of that era. But in the case of the Hudsucker Proxy, you know, tossing back to those 40s type comedies, I thought it was charming and funny and definitely had that screwball air to it. I know you haven't seen it, Joe, but you might want to check out Hudsucker Proxy, especially if you're a Coen Brothers fan. It's one that doesn't get mentioned very often with the Coen Brothers, which is why I wanted to go check it out. I feel like it was definitely a miss at the box office. I believe critics kind of dumped on it. This was before they made Fargo, which won them their first Academy Award. But I feel like this was kind of the one that got uh, a little more waylaid compared to the reviews that they got for Raising Arizona or Barton Fink, which people love, and uh, you know, Blood Simple and all the rest of it. But if you haven't seen the Hudsucker Proxy, I recommend it, especially if you're a Coen Brothers fan. I am. I, I love the Coen Brothers. And you're right. I, I have no idea how this movie has flown under the radar. So, I mean, with your recommendation, I'm definitely going to watch it this weekend. I love it, man. All right, a few more bits of entertainment news, and then we'll get to uh, Chris Beecham. Irishman, thankfully, named the best film of the year by the National Board of Review. NBR is always a little bit all over the place, so I wouldn't take too much stock with all of this, but as soon as I saw, it's like the Iowa caucus. They kick off the award season. Best director, Tarantino won. That's where I say I don't take too much stock in it. I think he'll get nominated, but I don't think he's going to win it. Um, Adam Sandler won Best Actor for Uncut Gems. Again, not nominated for a Golden Globe. Maybe he gets a SAG nomination, maybe an Oscar. Now, Renee Zellweger uh, wins for Judy. She's a, pretty much a lock at this point. Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As Chris Beecham will tell us, it kind of feels like his time. And Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, who is not going to get nominated for a SAG Award because Warner Brothers screwed up and they submitted her for a lead actress. So she's not going to get nominated for a SAG, and she wins supporting actress from the NBR. Maybe she won a Golden Globe. Who knows? Parasite wins Best Foreign Film, Maiden Best Documentary. Ben Lyons has been raving about that movie since last year. I think it came out at Sundance. And How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, Best Animated Feature. Hmm, I was hoping for Abominable. Uh, so the top 10 overall, 1917, Dolomite is My Name. That's good news for me and Joe. Ford versus Ferrari. Formulaic fun. Jojo Rabbit, I really liked it a lot. Knives Out, I'm halfway through it. Marriage Story, brilliant. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Watch it a second time on the flight to, Holly, uh, to uh, Saudi Arabia. Better than I thought. It's still not great. I still don't think it's great Tarantino, but I, I do enjoy the humor of it. The performances are really good. There's just too many damn scenes of them driving. I mean, if it, 240 that movie is. If you chopped it on a 210, it'd be a lot better. Richard Jewell, which is, again, this is where I said the NBR, sometimes they kind of lose their minds. There's getting zero buzz for that movie. Aside from Kathy Bates, that they put Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood's new film, as a top 10. Uncut Gems, good to see that. And Waves, which is getting zero love as well. I got the screener for that. Sterling K. Brown's in that film. That was kind of surprising. So the movies that did not get mentioned for top 10. Good to see Joker ignored. The Farewell, which I thought was a little underwhelming. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I liked it. Little Women is shocking. That was not included in the top 10. Again, that's where I do think the Oscars will reward it. And The Two Popes, which I'll be watching this week, that also got snubbed out of the top 10 there. So if the awards are any indicator of potential Oscar nods, last year the NBR had only four four of the eight Oscar Best Picture nominees on its top 10 list. So there is my point. It's only 50%. It's not very strong in that essence. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road is one of my favorite movies, certainly best action movie in years. George Miller, it's been four years since he um, debuted that film. AV Club, by the way, called it the film of the decade. He's taken pains over the years to assure panicking hordes who have allowed themselves to become addicted to his high-octane brain of storytelling. His uh, next film is in the works. He's also made it clear as a 76-year-old auteur... He doesn't feel especially beholden to letting the market dictate which movie he'll actually make next. I mean, this is a guy who was responsible for Babe Pig in the City, which is unbelievable. Uh, recent news, his next project will be neither shiny nor chrome, 
but focusing on the mysterious Idris Elba Tilda Swinton starring Project titled 3,000 Years of Longing. He's not giving up any plot details. He did go so far as to taunt us all by dubbing it the anti-Mad Max. It's almost the opposite of Fury Road. It's almost all interior. There's a lot of conversation. There are action scenes, but they are by the by. It's devastating, Joe. I want another Mad Max Fury Road. Me too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved Happy Feet. That's a guilty pleasure of mine. But <laughs> Mad Max is just one of the best movies of the decade. It was so good, and I think everyone's clamoring for a number two to that. And on a somber note, happy trails to legendary puppeteer Carol Spinney, brought to life Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street, dying at the age of 85. Uh, in addition to Sesame Street, Spinney voiced Big Bird in the Muppet movie, Oscar the Grouch and the Great Muppet Caper, and both beloved characters in 1985's Follow That Bird, four Daytime Emmy Awards, a Lifetime Achievement Award for his work on Sesame Street. Listen, you don't have to have kids like me, Joe. Everybody loves Sesame Street. Whatever age you were, we can all appreciate how great Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Carol Spinney, legend. You know, this kind of feels like Mr. Rogers in a way, too. You know, everyone just... He'll be missed. He'll be missed. And we were lucky to have him for so many years. All right. Now it's time for a special guest. I'll give you the bio first, then we'll bring him in. Chris Beach, the managing editor for Gold Derby. He began closely following the Emmys and Oscars at age eight by keeping journals of all the winners, nominees, and presenters long before the Internet. He has hosted over a thousand interviews, assisted many Emmy winners in choosing their episode submissions, including winners Ty Burrell, Allison Janney, Cynthia Nixon, Jim Parsons, and more. He builds predictions, center events, scheduling all interviews, creating panels and events, plus keeping a close relationship with all studios and networks. He's a friend. He's great. Here he is. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, a real pleasure. Welcome back to Cinephile, my friend Chris Beecham. He is a part of GoldDerby.com, G-O-L-D-D-E-R-B-Y.com. It is the number one site when it comes to predictions, not only for the Academy Awards, but also the Golden Globes, the Grammys, the SAGs, you name it. I was thrilled to be a part of the site for a couple of years, and now Chris is back with us here on Cinephile. Chris, a good uh, morning to you, because I know obviously you're on the West Coast there. How is everything the day after the Golden Globe announcements come out? I got to sleep three extra hours this morning. Uh, that was really, really early on the West Coast yesterday. 
<laughs> I know. I saw the people tweeting going, why the hell is this at 5 a.m.? This makes no sense. But uh, let's get to it. We'll talk Globe nominations, but also dovetail a little bit of the Oscars as well. So the best motion picture drama nominees, The Irishman, Joker, The Two Popes, Marriage Story in 1917, and then musical or comedy, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Knives Out, Dolomite is My Name, Jojo Rabbit, and Rocket Man. There's always a couple of these, uh, Chris, that I roll my eyes at because I say, well, there's no way they're going to get enough support for the Oscars. So specifically, Rocket Man, I don't see getting a Best Picture nomination. And I don't think there's going to be enough support for Dolomite is My Name or Knives Out, although I think Knives Out will get a screenplay nomination. But... Um, Listen, I think The Irishman is the movie to beat, uh, whether it's the Golden Globes or the Academy Awards. A good showing yesterday at the Globes, obviously. What are your thoughts on The Irishman as being the best picture favorite as it stands? I do think it is the favorite at the Oscars. We, we try to talk to people at parties and events and things. I don't get the impression, even though it got a lot of nominations yesterday, that the Globe voters are in love with The Irishman, though. Um, just a little tip there if you're making predictions on our website or somewhere else. Remember, this is a group last year that gave the Drama Film Award to Bohemian Rhapsody. It was like they said, we know this isn't going to win the Oscar for Best Picture, but it's our favorite and we're going to vote for it anyway. And that what, that's what might happen here at the Globes with Joker. Joker got a surprising nomination for director yesterday. Um, De Niro was left out of the Irishman nomination. So we try to look at little clues like that when we're making our predictions. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about Joker, so I didn't like the fact it was nominated for Best Picture or Director, uh, although I've uh, accepted the fact that Joaquin Phoenix is going to get nominated for Actor. Let's go right to Director then, Chris, because the nominees here are Scorsese for The Irishman, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, and Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. I'm hoping for the Oscars, it's four of those five, and I'm hoping maybe Greta Gerwig for Little Women gets in ahead of Todd Phillips and tries to break up the boys' club. What do you think about uh, that possibly, or you know what, I'd love to get Noah Baumbach in there for Marriage Story. And you know, they, I don't know if they're married or if they're life partners, but that would be fun if they both got in, you know, Noah and Greta, uh, into the same um, director category. The thing about that too, on screenplay, they both wrote their own screenplays, but they're in opposite categories for the Oscars. She's in adapted and he's an original. So the only place we can see them face off as director. I do think four out of these five are pretty much locked in for the Oscars. Don't expect Todd Phillips to get in necessarily there. Um, Noah or Greta, I think, are the two. One of those two will get in with these four. The person to watch for at both ceremonies that people don't know much about is uh, the Parasite director, Bong Joon-ho. They've gone so um, international the last few years for director, not necessarily foreign language films, but the, the directors being Mexican, uh, you know, uh, often in, in recent years, um, that he very well could win. I remember because they do win foreign language film, let's say Parasite wins that at either the Globes or the Oscars. He doesn't get the award there. He goes up and accepts, but the only place he can actually win, uh, well, he's also the screenwriter, but he, he, if he won director and foreign language film, he, he personally only gets one trophy. That's a great point. I noticed, I watched Fallon yesterday. Bong Joon-ho was on the show with a translator there. Now, when was the last time, you know, Guillermo del Toro or uh, Alfonso Cuaron, 
Um, you know, those guys do speak English. But in the case of uh, Bong Joon-ho, I mean, he spoke a very limited amount of English, but the translator was there to help him out. But I thought that was unique to see a, a foreign language director on a, the, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. That's just an example of how much this film has crossed over. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm really curious what happens with the DGA, the Directors Guild Awards, because I'm with you. I think that Irishman wins Best Picture, certainly at the Oscars. And I think Scorsese, I would have thought in some ways might have been the favorite to win his second Best Director Award. But I'm with you. We've seen more fragmentation in Hollywood the last few years. You know, it's not that uniformity you used to have in the past. The winner would win like six or eight Oscars. Green Book wins three Oscars, including Best Picture a year ago. I think you might see the Irishman win, you know, maybe four or five. Uh, some of the other categories, production design, Thelma Schoonmaker, editing as well. But I'm with you. I think directing, the one to watch out for is Bong Joon-ho because it's a way of rewarding a film which is really cut through. I mean, it's made over $100 million uh, domestic, uh, excuse me, a worldwide box office, and that would be a nice way of honoring the film, which feels like a lock for, uh, for foreign film. Well, the other thing is I talk to people. It seems to be that discovery movie of the year, the movie where you walk out of the theater and you call up your friends or you text your friends or family and say, boy, you got to go see Parasite. Uh, there's usually like one movie a year that's that discovery movie. Last year, it sort of was Green Book. I had many family members when I would text them. I saw it about a month before it came out of theaters. And they would say, I would say, go see Green Book when it comes out at Thanksgiving. What is that? I've never heard of that. Um, so Parasite seems to be that movie, the one that you want to share with people, the one that you want to tell people about. I completely agree. And it's the kind of movie, you, and you're right, Chris, you tell them, hey, listen, go see this. What's it about? I don't want to say anything. I don't want to spoil it. Just go see it, and you're going to love it. You think of you know movies like Usual Suspects in the past. You know, The less you know, the better it is. Best screenplay for the Golden Globes. Again, for the Oscars, there's going to be original screenplay and adapted screenplay. I think Bombback's a lock, by the way, for an Oscar for screenplay. But let's just look at for the Golden Globes. It'll be Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Bomb Back for Marriage Story. Anthony McCartan for The Two Popes. Haven't yet had a chance to see that film yet, but I am excited to see it because it actually did well with the Globes with Jonathan Price getting nominated, Anthony Hopkins as well. Parasite Screenplay is nominated. And then the one that I hope wins the adapted screenplay, of course, Steven Zalian, he, um, he won an Oscar for Schindler's List. I think Oscars-wise, like I said, Bomb Back wins original, Zalian wins adapted. But for the Globes and only five nominees, who do you like here? I do think this might be a Noah sweep throughout the season, uh, winning at Writers Guild, winning here, winning at Critics' Choice, Oscars. Uh, he's never won before. He's one of those, they love to give at least one screenplay award every year to a writer-director, which he is. Of course, that could mean Tarantino as well, but um, Tarantino's got a couple already. Noah's never won. I think this might turn into a sweep for him. It's one of those, it almost feels like a play when you're watching it as well, and they like those kind of movies and screenplay. Very dialogue-oriented movie. Yeah. Do you agree with me that Zalian will be the favorite for adapted screenplay at the Oscars? He is the favorite. The, the fun thing, like I mentioned before, if Little Women does well at the Oscars, let's say, you know, six, seven, eight nomination range, which is not impossible. It's going to get things like costume design, production design, possibly score, Sir Ronan. Um, so if Greta... If that becomes a favorite movie we, we feel like for Oscar voters and that that narrative takes over where, hey, we could give Greta and Noah uh, husband and wife here, both give give both of them um, Oscars. That would be kind of fun. 
Yeah, that would definitely be fun. We're talking to Chris Beecham of goldderby.com. Check out the site. It is the best spot for all your predictions when it comes to the Oscars, the Globes, uh, the Grammys, the Emmys, you name it. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, Chris. Zellweger's going to win. She's nominated for Judy. The other nominees are Charlize Theron for Bombshell, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Cynthia Revo for Harriet. I haven't a chance to see that yet, but I am excited to see the Casey Lemons movie. And Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. Uh, musical or comedy nominees for actresses. Of course, there's two categories for the Globes. There'll be just one for the Oscars. But musical or comedy, Aquafina for The Farewell. I love seeing Beanie Feldstein get in for Booksmart. That made me happy. Anna de Armas for Knives Out. Emma Thompson for Late Night. And Where'd You Go, Bernadette Cape Blanchett. So again, I feel like it's going to be tough for those musical or comedy nominees to get in for the Oscars. Maybe Aquafina for the farewell, but it feels like this award season, it's going to be Renee Zellweger, the person to beat, even though I didn't think the movie was great, but her, her performance certainly was. Maybe Scarlett Johansson gives her a ride for her money. Scarlett's going to be interesting because she's surprisingly never gotten an Oscar nomination before. She's got two chances this year, lead and supporting for uh, Jojo Rabbit and supporting. Um, but I do think it's going to be Renee's year. Now, we said that about Glenn Close last year. And the thing that held her back wasn't an anti-Glenn Close bias. It was her, what, seventh or eighth, seventh nomination, uh, never has won before. It was the fact that that movie had no other nominations. That may be the problem for Judy. This might, Renee might be the only nomination for Judy, although it's got a shot at maybe something like makeup and hair or costume design. But that would be about it. Uh, everybody's going to be watching um, Scarlet in Marriage Story. I think it's one of those two winning. But Renee, it's such a powerful, over-the-top performance of a real-life person. They love giving, remember Rami last year playing Freddie Mercury. They love, and it's a real-life person, that they can compare the performance to the actual person. Yeah, you're right. Definitely something that Hollywood always is in favor of. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama at the Golden Globes. Christian Bale, Ford versus Ferrari. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory. Jonathan Price, The Two Popes. And Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Uh, that's an interesting one. Because obviously, as you mentioned, De Niro's snub, which is atrocious. Hopefully that doesn't happen for the Oscars. We'll see what the SAGs end up saying. Hopefully De Niro gets in there. Uh, for actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy, you've got DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name, Daniel Craig for Knives Out, Teron Edgerton for Rocket Man, and Roman Griffin Davis, the little kid from Jojo Rabbit. There's a surprise nomination. Good to see him get in there. I think Best Actor is going to come down to Driver and Phoenix. And I noticed, Chris, on the site before you guys had Driver's the favorite, but I believe Joaquin Phoenix may now be the favorite as well. You're kind of vacillating between those two when it comes to the Best Actor winner uh, for the Oscar, at the very least. Well, with these two guys, you've got people that are very well respected in the industry. For Phoenix, I believe it would be his fourth nomination, never has won. Adam Driver was just up last year uh, and, and hasn't won. And Adam Driver's having some kind of year. I mean, between <laughs> Marriage Story, which will be his nomination, The Report, which people like him way better than the movie. Um, he got a Tony nomination in the summer for his Broadway work. And he's about to be in the biggest movie of the year in Star Wars, which doesn't, <laughs> people don't vote off of the fact that you've got multiple roles, but it throws him back in the limelight again for a few weeks, right as they're voting. Um, it's going to be very interesting. I've got Phoenix right at the moment because it's, again, it's kind of like Renee. It's such a flashy, over-the-top performance as opposed to Adam's more dialogue, um, you know, real-life person kind of performance. 
Yeah, that's why I like driver's role better. I thought Joaquin Phoenix, as good as an actor he is, I thought there was just unnecessary ticks and mannerisms. And as you said, I, I, it was just um, excessive at times where I agree with your driver. I just thought was so good. He's just playing a, a normal guy going through this, this terrible crisis as he's trying to keep his family together. The one thing I also wonder about, and I think this hurt Glenn Close last year on The Wife, almost every voter watches almost every movie on a screener or on an online uh, screening link. Uh, not in the theater. Now, they do get out to as many as they can, but they're as busy as we are. And, you know, there's, what, 8,000 of them. So um, I know several Oscar voters who just couldn't make it through Joker. Uh, it's just, it's either your cup of tea or it's not, yeah. and it's very violent. They're all going to make it through Marriage Story. Um, although I did have a few tell me, boy, this hit too close to home, this divorce story with two people really going at each other so in hollywood alone that might that might hurt marriage story ultimately um just being being a little too close to uh home although it's funny that that movie could be i mean it could be the oscar winner for best picture we really don't know right at the moment and it's exactly 40 years since kramer versus kramer which is the movie it's most compared to right the best divorce movie since and you're right it's interesting the parallels there and um that's funny about the fact. Maybe a little too close to home. That's interesting. Uh, the category that I think is the most loaded with talent, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a motion picture. These are the nominees for the Golden Globes. Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who's terrific. I mean, that role of Cliff is so funny, and he plays it well. Pacino's best performance since, I, I would say, Donnie Brasco, which was 1997. He's tremendous as Jimmy Hoffa and the Irishman. You've got Tom Hanks. Again, he hasn't been nominated in a long time. Remember, he got snubbed for Captain Phillips. I didn't think A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was great, but he's fantastic. I thought he really nailed the empathy of Mr. Rogers. Joe Pesci, people are going crazy about for The Irishman, Chris, because he hasn't acted in a decade. It's so atypical of what you'd see in a Scorsese film. And then you've got Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes. Good luck trying to decipher a winner out of those five. Who do you have right now for the Globes? And do you think it'll be those five for the Oscars? Because if so, that means Shia LaBeouf gets left out for Honey Boy, and I thought he might get in there. And Willem Dafoe gets left out for The Lighthouse. And uh, Song Kang-ho, who just won the, the L.A. Film Critics, gets left out for Parasite. Uh, you know, we don't know how it's going to all sort out. Um, I've got Brad Pitt at the moment. It feels like his time. It feels like, to me, a George Clooney kind of a situation where Clooney was up that year that he won for supporting for um, also for directing and producing Good Night and Good Luck. So like a good year. Now, Brad doesn't have any, he's not involved in the producer side of Once Upon a Time, but that's where he's won his only Oscar was for producing 12 Years a Slave. He's had several acting nominations and has never won. What I find interesting about this category, you reading off those names, other than Joe Pesci, they're all really leads for most of their career. Uh, and they're almost leads in these movies. Um, you can make a case that they are supporting the person that is the lead. Tom Hanks is supporting Matthew Reese. Al Pacino is supporting Robert De Niro. Brad Pitt supporting DiCaprio. Um, Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price are basically co-leads. But I do understand why they're in supporting because they are a tiny bit less uh, on screen than uh, and, and, and important to the storyline than the other people we just mentioned. I think it's probably going to be Brad Pitt or Al Pacino. Um, Al Pacino's worst nightmare was that Joe Pesci start winning these critics awards because if he had, you can, you can overcome 
vote splitting within your own movie or your own TV show when you're the obvious front, when you're the obvious person, like Peter Dinklage always beats the other men on Game of Thrones. Um, but it's much harder if the voters can't decide between the two. If they're hearing Joe Pesci's winning all these critics awards, but Al Pacino's got the bigger role, they're not sure what to do. And then suddenly Brad Pitt comes up the middle and he wins the thing. So that's going to be very, very interesting. But right now, you would think it's Pitt a little bit ahead of Pacino. That's interesting. But you're right. I do agree with you. Pacino Pesci could split the vote. That could make things very, very, uh, very dicey there. Uh, I'm not going to focus on the TV stuff for the Globes, Chris, but I did think it was interesting. The morning show appeared to get a little bit of buzz. I mean, I don't know how many people are watching on Apple Plus, but I heard the, the show wasn't great. But everyone appears that Jennifer Aniston is really good in it. So her and Reese Witherspoon get nominated. Other than that, you know, you get your Russian dolls and uh, obviously uh, shows that have been, uh, you know, already rewarded by certainly the Emmys, like Fleabag and Barry and such. I did want to say I was happy to see Rami Youssef break through. He was nominated for that show, Rami. I don't think he's going to win. He's up against Hayter and Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas. But I, I, normally I kind of decry the Globes and I think they miss it a lot. But I was really happy to see Rami Youssef's nomination. Not sure if you have any intel on what happened there, but he's up for best performance by an actor in a TV series, musical or comedy. I actually do. Um, about three days before the nominations, I moved him into my picks. I was one of the only ones because I kept hearing um, in response to Globe. We talked about Globe voters, you know, with, with film. When we hear things from them, too, uh, on the TV side. It's usually not directly from them. They don't want to give away their votes, but they can't help just like you can't help talk about your favorite stuff that year. And I kept hearing over and over, oh, look out for Rami in, um, in uh, Comedy Actor. And so I moved him in thinking, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm hearing this from people that aren't, they don't have really a horse in the race, you know? So, um, not like I was hearing it from Hulu themselves. So I moved him in and, and lo and behold, he got in. So sometimes my Intel is, is, is on track. <laughs> that's good to see man i was happy to see that uh last one here as far as the major categories supporting actress i walked out of marriage story when i saw the new york film festival and i said well laura dern's gonna win an academy award she was tremendous playing the divorce lawyer good category though j-lo for hustlers margot robbie bombshell kathy bates richard jewell which appears to be ignored except for kathy bates and annette benning for the report here's an example you're talking about earlier with close so a couple of movies with the report and richard jewell which appears to be these are the, the lone bright spots annette benning and kathy bates but I feel like it's Laura Dern to lose. Although with the Globes, Chris, as you know, they love their stars. Maybe J-Lo wins the Golden Globe, but Laura Dern wins the Oscar. That's exactly what I'm thinking is going to happen. I think Laura is going to win most of the awards leading up, which is, you know, most, most of the time at the Oscars, we kind of know who's going to win. It'll say three out of four acting races based on everything leading up. Um, in this case, though, when you are making your globe predictions, always think about who do you imagine these 80 something people most want to see on stage? And I think they most want to see Jennifer Lopez on stage. Laura Dern just won two years ago for Big Little Lies. Just a couple of years before that, she won for Enlightened on HBO. There's not a great, even if they love that performance, there's not a great overwhelming need to give her another one right away. JLo got her first ever Globe nomination for her first ever movie, Selena, back over, what was that, 20-something years ago? So it's been a long, long time, and she's never won one. That's who I think is going to win the Globe. 
That's interesting. Uh, it's obviously going to be a really fun year, and obviously all these prognostications are always so much fun. Uh, just on a personal note, Chris, like you said, with GoldDerby.com, you are putting together what you feel is going to happen by talking to voters, etc. Your personal favorite films of this year, if you want to give us your favorite top five films of this year, what would they be? Well, I will sit down and do an actual list at some point. I've been, I've been going to so many events and screenings lately, I haven't done this yet. But I'll, uh, in no particular order, I would say I loved 1917. Um, there's a stealth candidate for you there on director, Sam Mendes, what he does with this continuous long one, what seems like one take movie is amazing. Uh, it's 20 year anniversary of him winning an Oscar for American beauty. I loved marriage story. I loved once upon a time. I loved little women and I love the Irishman. I would say those five are right at you know right going to be right at the top of my list at the end of the year i love it all those movies definitely heavyweights and uh this week my loan i've gone through my own screener so i'm gonna i'm gonna knock out 1917 and little women this week i, I agree though and i heard the one shot on stuff avengers. i loved what they did with avengers endgame was close to impossible uh take a story they've been building for 20 years make it work give every character a moment or two and make you feel good leaving the theater. I, I would love it. It's going to be up for Producers Guild. I can guarantee you that being the top movie of the year. I don't think it's going to get into Best Picture at the Oscars, but it should get a lot of technical nominations. That would be in my top five, I think, for the year. All right, getting Avengers in there as well. Uh, how much do I have to bribe you and Tom to get back on the site? What Can I make an offer you can't refuse here, Chris, to get back in, the, in your good graces? Oh, um, well, it's going to be up to Tom, I'm sure. He is thinking about that. I don't ever know what he's thinking for certain old things, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, with your, your cinephile is so popular. I, I will remind him again that we need to get you back in there. I appreciate it. You're a good man. Chris Beecham, as always, does a tremendous job. GoldDerby.com. It is the best place to see all the predictions as they happen. As you heard Chris say, he talks to voters. Uh, him and Tom O'Neill, of course, are, are so tied into this. And uh, it's a good way to make some money, man. As you and I, both big sports fans, we know that those audiences dovetail sports and movies and they, where they come together. So I'm sure there'll be a few surprises here and there as we go. But uh, great stuff breaking it down. And uh, I will, of course, check out the site. We really appreciate the time. Okay. Thank you. Mount Rushmore. All right, J.P. Marietta, longtime listener, cinephile, wanted me to do this. Mount Rushmore, one-word titles. This is insane. This is either the best or worst idea we've ever had. There's so many movies with only one word in them. This is ins- I don't know why J.P. would do this to us. Like, I've got to do like 30 Mount Rushmore's to make this happen. Uh, I'm just looking at this list, and I'm baffled, but just for fun, what the hell, here we go. Casablanca, of course, a classic. Michael Curtiz film. We'll always have Paris. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I mean, you got Bogart, you got Bergman, you've got uh, Claude Rains, epic screenplay, which is being changed by the Epstein brothers of Day of the... Oh, it's amazing. Fargo, what the hell? I'm putting the Coen brothers in here, okay? There's a lot of other movies on here, but honestly, Fargo, as Gene Siskel said, and that guy, Gene Siskel watched freaking 5,000 movies in his life, for all we know. He was like, honestly, I would watch Fargo in my top 10 all year. I could watch it once a week. I'm putting Fargo in there. 
Goodfellas, no-brainer, obviously, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'll put Vertigo as well. Uh, long-time listeners of Cinephile know how much I love Vertigo. I've talked often about that film. i got to get a Hitchcock in there. But honestly, I'm going to go Casablanca, Fargo, Goodfellas, Vertigo. Although I really want to get Airplane in there. I'm omitting uh, Spaceballs, Tootsie, Rushmore, uh, Scarface, Rashomon. This is insane, Joe. How the hell are you going to do this? What's your Mount Rushmore? Uh, it's nearly impossible. I It's so hard to choose, but I'm going to go with Rocky, Psycho as well, instead of Vertigo. Got to get a Hitchcock in there. And then Amadeus, uh, Best Picture 1984 is when it came out. And then the movie Drive, 2011. Wow, Gosling, yeah. you love it. Love it. it. When I walked out of there, I was I almost tweeted out and texted everyone I knew. I was like, guys, this might be the perfect movie. We can stop. We can stop now. We don't have to make any more. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to upset you now. I thought it was okay. I wasn't crazy about it. I, I, I thought it was good. I'll tell you what I loved about it, what I absolutely loved. Albert Brooks. I was so upset right. when he didn't get nominated. I wanted him to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I thought he was tremendous in that movie. Right, definitely. But you're right. I mean, still train spotting, Jaws. I wanted to include Fargo, Batman. You have a bunch of great Disney animated movies, too, like Bambi's in there. Nosferatu. <laughs> metropolis misery how can you choose yeah it's insane uh this was a tough one but give us some ideas for what we should do for mount rushmore tweet us cinephile pod or adnan esferic now it's time for the second episode ever of total recall and joe's stand-up is on the way All right, thanks so much. I don't know, I don't know the name off the top, but somebody did tweet me and said, hey, I love the Total Recall segment. Can you do 1999 or 2004? So I took your advice. Thank you. You're going to tweet me again. I'll mention your name next time. But 1999, indeed, is what you want me to do. So let's do it. And as soon as I saw the year, I was like, oh, now I know why you're doing it. Because that was the year, of course, that Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture, which was an atrocity. It should have been any one of these other movies. Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, or The Thin Red Line. I would go with Life is Beautiful. I know it's a little bit uh, sentimental, but I think it's a beautifully made film. Uh, it's touching and heartbreaking, and I love it. I know the answer should be Saving Private Ryan, although I do like The Thin Red Line a lot. Very poetic. But I'm going to go with Life is Beautiful. It should have won Best Picture. How about you, Joe? Elizabeth? You know, I'm actually going to go with Saving Private Ryan. Um, I really like that Tom Hanks carries the movie. The only ridiculous part of the movie is when they're storming the beach, and one of the soldiers gets his arm blown off. So he searches for his arm, picks it up, and then continues to storm the beach. <laughs> <laughs> which makes no sense, I guess, in the moment. I do remember that scene. Uh, director, listen, to Spielberg won. I don't know how you can go against him because, as you mentioned, that first 15 minutes is uh, just incredible cinema. He was up against Peter Weir for The Truman Show. I remember he was nominated for Witness. Terrence Malick, then Red Line. Again, it was a very Malick film. John Madden, Shakespeare in Love. Come on, get out of here. And Benini for Life is Beautiful. Maybe, uh, no, you know, I was about to say, maybe I should argue Benini for director and something, Saving Private Ryan, Best Picture, but I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go Life is Beautiful, Best Picture, and director Spielberg for Saving Private Ryan. You agree on Spielberg, I'm assuming? Yeah, I agree on Spielberg. I mean, I, yeah, I have no complaints there. I would go with Spielberg. Best actor, again, I love Benini, but I would have gone with Nick Dolte. He was unbelievable as Wade Whitehouse in Affliction. Performance of his life, it was incredible. Um, the other nominees, Tom Hanks for Saving Private Ryan, Ian McKellen for Gods and Monsters as James Whale, 
Edward Norton, American History X. We were watching that movie, right? Derek Vineyard, he was incredible in that movie. Benini won for Life is Beautiful, which I was very happy about because I do love Benini and I love that film. I just said I think it should have won Best Picture, but it should have been Nick Nolte for Affliction. He was unreal in that movie. I'm going Tom Hanks again. Saving Private Ryan. I'm going the sweep this year for 1999. <laughs> Best actress was Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't think I have an issue with that. Although I did love Meryl Streep in One True Thing. I mean, playing a woman dying of cancer. I mean, for, for a woman who does so many different roles and accents and impressions, I mean, that was, uh, quote, going simple. You're just playing an all-American woman dying of cancer. Really beautiful film. I, I, Carl Franklin directed. He was really good. Devil in a Blue Dress. He's done, of course. William Hurt playing her husband. Uh, Emily Watson also nominated for Hillary and Jackie. Fernando Montenegro for Central Station. That's right. That's foreign film. Really good. Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth. But I have no issue with this. Fine. I mean, maybe, fine. I don't want to give Meryl Streep so many Oscars. But Gwyneth Paltrow ended up winning for Shakespeare in Love. I have no major issues with this. You? No, I'm, I'm completely fine with this. I loved her in that movie, too. This, that movie's also kind of a guilty pleasure for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with Gwyneth Paltrow winning. Supporting actor, they got it right. James Coburn won for Affliction. It was unbelievable as Glenn Whitehouse. Pop abusive, alcoholic, vicious. And, of course, Coburn is a legendary actor, his last great chance to win an Oscar, and he rightfully won one, although a really good category. Duvall for a civil action should have been nominated for Best Actor for The Apostle the previous year, so they nominated him here as Jerome. Ed Harris, The Truman Show, Your First Tooth as Kristoff. Jeffrey Rush, Shakespeare in Love, and, a God, you know, this is what I might... No, it's fine. I'll stick with Coburn, but I did love Billy Bob Thornton, A Simple Plan, nominated as Jacob Mitchell, supporting actor. The dim, dense brother, but just heartbreaking when he ends up dying. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Billy Bob Thornton, maybe Ed Harris, but as I look this over, I'm kind of shocked that Jim Carrey wasn't nominated for Best Actor that year. You're right. Good call, Joe. That was a huge glaring omission that year. Who would you have taken off then? I would have taken off... Oh, that's tough. Ian McKellen yeah, for Gods Ian McKellen, and Monsters. Yeah, Ian McKellen, yeah. Right, sorry, see her, uh, Supporting actress Judy Dench won. I believe she's in the movie, I want to say like 12 minutes. Might have been a record. Maybe eight minutes. I believe the record is Beatrice Strait for Network, supporting actress. I think she's in it five minutes and 40 seconds. She has an unbelievable speech that she gives to William Holden. I think Judy Dench is either in Shakespeare in Love, eight minutes or 12 minutes. I'm going to say eight, so I don't know about her winning it. It's either going to be Kathy Bates, Primary Colors, Brenda Blethyn, Little Voice, Rachel Griffiths, Hillary and Jackie, Lynn Redgrave, Gods and Monsters. You know what? I didn't see a lot of those movies, so what the hell? Judy Dench wins. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see a lot of them either, but I'll go Kathy Bates because I love Kathy Bates. Done. Best screenplay original, Shakespeare in Love, no chance. Come on. Mark Norman, Tom Stoppard. Stoppard, very famous playwright. Other nominees, Bullworth. A bit of a misfire from Warren Beatty, but he was nominated for an Oscar. Life is Beautiful, I love. Saving Private Ryan, Robert Rodot, or The Truman Show. I would have gone with The Truman Show. Very inventive story from Andrew Nichol. To me, that's a pretty clear cut. You should have won that definitely for original screenplay. I agree. And last one before we get to Joe's stand-up, best screenplay based on material previously produced or published, went to Gods and Monsters, Bill Condon, other nominees, Out of Sight. We know what Ben Mankiewicz won. He loves that movie. Primary Colors, A Simple Plan, The Thin Red Line. Come on, Simple Plan, Scott B. Smith. That's an amazing screenplay. And the book, I'm sure, is just as good, but it was from the same guy. So I wrote a book, then I adapted the screenplay. Scott B. Smith should have won for A Simple Plan. Yeah, I'll go with The Simple Plan as well, yeah. In the next cinephile, we're going to have a ton. Like I said, I got screeners all over the place here. As Chris Beecham said, you got them lined up. You try to organize what's the most important. So, listen, I got a lot of kids here, okay? So, Knives Out, this is like the fourth different time I'm going to try to watch it. I watched 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, but I'm going to get through it. It's okay so far. I got to be honest. I'm a little bit underwhelmed. My buddy Rosilla hated it, so maybe he's poisoning me. And everyone else there loved the movie. But I'm going to watch Knives Out. That's going to be next week. 1917, absolutely, I'm getting that done. Sam Mendy's film, Little Women. My wife wants to watch it. That'll be on the next podcast. So all that more is coming up. But we leave you with something great here. And please do give us some love. Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, uh, rate and review. I know this was a long one. We had a lot to say. 
But I want Joe to stand up right now. This is how we're going to end things on a really strong note. Go ahead, Joe. Floor is yours. All right. I'm going to add a laugh track to this, Adnan, just to let you know. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to start my own DiGiorno delivery company. I'm going to call it Joe's DiGiorno Delivery. Only when I get to the front door, people will be like, what the hell? This isn't even cooked. And I'll say that's because it's not delivery. It's DiGiorno. <laughs> Only in this case, it's actually delivered. That'll, that'll be 1450 <laughs> My uncle used to be a volunteer fireman. When he started, they said that he could either carry the axe or hold the ladder. And he chose the ladder. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Uh, they say North Korea is like South Korea, but with no soul. But a bum. I like it. I think I need to buy my girlfriend a new cell phone because every time I call her, she keeps breaking up with me. <laughs> hey, and and do you think NBA players get paid more for working overtime? Do you think they, they should get, be, but they don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think they get time and a half or just half time? <laughs> I like that. That's good for the sports audience. Say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, which couldn't be more true in my case because I use Apple Maps and I can't find my doctor at all. The maps are so counterintuitive. I love it. Um, maybe we, maybe we got one more. You want to make this a segment? Oh, I, think I we have should be a segment. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have like fourteen hundred of these. Uh, I'll give you one more. How about this? How does the hipster build a raft? How? With thriftwood. With thriftwood <laughs> is the answer. I love it. You know what? We're gonna make this a segment right after Total Recall. Joe, stand up. Some great one-liners to end the show. Thank Perfect. you so much to everybody for listening. Great stuff, man. We'll see you next time, and I'll see you at the movies. kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.